You're listening to The Real Life Podcast. You're about to hear a powerful message about Jesus straight from God's Word. If there's anything that we can do to serve you, please just take advantage of one of the options to get a hold of us, and we'd love to serve you today. Let's go ahead and hear what God's up to today. Appreciate Brandon leading us in worship this morning. I do. Really awesome to just have an awesome team around here and really thankful for all of you being here today. My name is Richie, our lead pastor, and I uh, am so thankful that we get these moments together today. And I'm really glad that we get to be together and excited for this conversation. We're going to dive into God's word here in a moment, but uh, I just am still kind of reflecting back on last week. We got to give away uh, close to 1,500 pairs of shoes uh, for kids here in our city. Isn't that awesome? Like, Shoes and haircuts and, and, and all the love that was poured out at three different locations at this event we call One Heart. It was an amazing chance to be able to love kids in our city. And I think my wife and I, when we came to plant this church, we really dreamt about being a church that the, like if, if anything ever like happened and this church went away, that our city would actually miss us. And I think moments like that last week are a real statement to that, that we are actually actively making an impact of real needs in people's lives around here. It's easy for a church to just kind of slip into obscurity, just doing our religious thing and never actually loving people that are in real places of need and crisis. And so I'm so, so thankful. If you gave, uh, you brought shoes, you served, you cut hair, you cooked hot dogs, however you loved and served last this last week. And there's really the month leading up up to it to get ready for it. I just want to say thank you. I love that God is leading us to be that kind of a church, and I'm so thankful that we get to learn together today. I'm a little sore today. I, uh, I had an adventure. We were at a family dinner last night, and my nephew, who's like nine or ten, was there, uh, and he's super fun, and um, he was showing me how to use his little four-wheeler, and it's little, and I'm, I'm not little, and so we were. All, I was on it, and then he decided to use me as target practice with his football, because that's what ten-year-olds do, and um, I, I was avoiding the, the most recent throw, and I, I cranked it as hard as I could to get around and avoid, and it was like, it was just a mess. It was probably one of the most awkward crashes you could ever have. My wife was like, I, I kind of felt embarrassed for you. I, like that's, so if you see me limping today, it's really my anger towards my nephew is what it is. It's not this massive bruise all down my whole right side. No, I, I love him a ton and I'm thankful for those moments together with the family. Uh, today, I'm excited to continue to answer questions with you. Uh, you asked several questions uh, this spring, and uh, we are learning and attempting to answer those with you. We've been asking all kinds of questions and, and, and attempting to answer them over the last several weeks. And today, uh, we are going to dive into a question uh, that you were asking multiple times in multiple ways. How do I love the LGBTQ plus community? What does it look like for me as a follower of Jesus, somebody who's a part of Jesus' church, to love the way Jesus calls us to love? And so, uh, I want to attempt to answer that question today. If you've got your Bible, would you open to John chapter 8? That is where I'm going to be basing my answer out of, uh, is Jesus as our model. And so, uh, as we dive into this today, I just would encourage you that um, all of us have a lot uh, packed into this conversation. And I really believe that God can make a way through all that we bring in, whether it's baggage or perspective or hurts or all kinds of ideas about this conversation and why it's here and where it's come from and all of that. 
God can make a way through all of that to speak to each of us today. He loves to meet you right where you are, reveal himself, encourage you, shape you, um, really make you into the man or woman that he called you and designed you to be. That's what we're about around here is reaching this world for Jesus. One person at a time, seeing disciples of Jesus raised up and sent out to go make more disciples of Jesus. And so uh, I'm thankful that we get to do this to, together today. I want to pray and just ask God to be here with us in this time. Pray with me, would you? Lord, um, you know I need you. I need your help with this. We need you collectively, individually and collectively, God. We need you to be here powerfully speaking, leading God. We ask, Holy Spirit, that um, wherever we find ourselves in this conversation today, that you would meet us right there in love and grace and power and truth, God, that you would meet us right where we are today. You would encourage um, discouraged hearts today. You would lift up the brokenhearted. You would, you would mend those that are hurting today, God. Uh, that you would save those who are lost in this room today, God. That you would rescue those that are broken and hurting, God. Just be our healer, be our strength, be our God, be, be as good as you are good, God. You are so good. And we just thank you for your presence here right now. We invite you to just be here powerfully. In Jesus' name, can you say amen today? Amen. There's a recent movie uh, my family watched. Really, it started my wife and I watched it. It's called The Jesus Revolution. Anybody heard of this movie that's been out in the last few months here? Um, my wife and I literally cried our way through this entire movie. And... This movie is a detailed story of really the beginning of what is known as kind of the Calvary movement and starting in Southern California as, as hippies um, were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And it details the struggle of the church to figure out how to love and, and, and accept and bring in these that have been living kind of crazy lifestyles, drugs and sex and all kinds of mayhem in their lives and, and just the tension surrounding this kind of, of, of place in, in history. And um, I think we, we cried because, one, I know we felt the weight of the church and its responsibility to love people. And seeing the church struggle to love people was really hard, I think, for us in, in a way that brought conviction in our hearts. I think we cried because we feel the responsibility of people in our city and in our world that are far from Jesus. And I think the ache inside of us just was brought to the surface as we watched um, people find Jesus that had been looking for, for Jesus in so many places in so many broken ways to actually find Jesus and be rescued and seeing all those people being baptized was just like, oh yes, that is who God has called us to be. I think we cried because we feel like we are called to be that kind of a church and those kind of leaders and those kind of people. And that we as a church um, have an opportunity to really learn from some of that. Because I don't think the hippies obviously are not our current cultural time right now. It was a time in the 70s and 80s that was, was different than it is now. But I, but I do... I did walk away from that movie almost kind of wondering, is this kind of some sort of like look, like God prophetically almost showing us like, hey, this is the way the church is struggling to love and lead uh, people that find themselves in the LGBTQ plus community. Wondering if Jesus' people and Jesus' church would actually learn to be his church amidst a messy and different and broken population, trying to find hope and life and relationship and acceptance. 
We watched the movie again with our girls, and again, we cried the whole way through. I thought I was going to be better second time, honestly. Um, but just seeing the ache of our hearts for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ is just so, uh, it's just so real for us. And so I come at this conversation today in my attempt to answer this question, how do we love the LGBTQ plus community with that ache inside of me as, as your pastor and one who loves to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Like that's, that's what's driving me in this conversation is no matter where people have come from and what they have struggled with, there is a, there is a passion inside of me to see an entire world reached with the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is for all mankind. And I believe that this is a passion of mine that, that God has just put inside me. I didn't like ask for it. It is God himself saying, this is how I want you to live and this is the kind of conviction I want you to live with. But as I look at this question, I know that we're informed by a culture war that has been going since the 70s. Uh, riots in, in New York broke out and there was all kinds of, of uproar and movements that, that kind of began and one particular gay agenda was formed and, and began to try to aim at literally desensitizing America to the immorality of being gay. At the same time, there was a religious um, movement that, that emerged called the, the moral majority, trying to prove to America that God's way is the only way, but the way they went about it was very hostile, arrogant, and judgmental. It felt like these two camps were set up in opposition and just kind of lobbing bombs at each other culturally. That war has continued to today, and those agendas and those, those um, pressures continue to today, and it have informed much of what we think about this conversation. And, in fact, as your pastor, this is one of the things that I'm passionate about is our maturity as followers of Jesus is, is that we are able to discern where we have gotten our thoughts and our perspectives from and able to discern whether or not they align with scripture or not. And I would ask you to consider in your own heart and mind, what do you believe is, is actual marriage? Like from, from like a definition standpoint, what do you believe is healthy sexuality? What do you believe is, is, is really what God wants for our lives. And these questions, you gotta then filter and go, okay, where did I get this belief from? Did I get it from maybe a conversation I have with somebody? Did I get it from just what's being preached at me through whatever medium? Did I get it from a peer, a media that I consume? And how does your belief actually measure up against scripture, what God teaches and how God views marriage and sexuality and gender and all these questions that swirl around this question, how do I love people in the LGBTQ plus community? I'm gonna share real life's perspective on these beliefs, but know that I'm not gonna unpack the whole theology behind it. I just did this like two months ago in a sermon titled Marriage and Sexuality. You can find that on our YouTube. And I would encourage you to go back if you're like, where does this biblically all come from? I unpack that. And this is almost like part two of that in a sense of like, if that's what we believe about marriage and gender and sexuality, then how do we, how do we live with this belief in the life and in the culture and the world and the relationships that we have? At Real Life, we believe that marriage is designed by God. God instituted marriage Right at the beginning of creation, God made marriage. Since he's the creator, he gets to decide what marriage is. We believe that about everything. We believe that about gender as well, that God decides gender. God is the one that defines who we are and, and, and the potential that we have. 
We believe that marriage as defined by God is between one man and one woman. That is clearly articulated in scripture. We do believe that practicing homosexuality is a sin, just like lust, cheating on your spouse, lying, stealing, gossip, every other sin, but it is without question a sin in scripture. We do also understand that mentally, emotionally, people experience lots of desires inside them that compete with the truth of who God has made us to be and wants us to be. Every one of us has desires inside of us that are trying to lure us away from the purpose of God for each of our lives. Whether those desires inside a person are towards same-sex attraction, gender transition, or fluidity, we understand that people are battling desires all the time. And we also believe that those desires do not define a person's identity. Gay, trans, these are not identities that God has put on somebody's life. These are desires inside of somebody that are to be resisted just like any other desire that leads you away from God's design. That's where we stand. Now understand that there's a lot of theology behind all that. That's why I pointed you back to that sermon from a couple of months ago. But if that's where we are and that's what we believe Jesus believes and what Jesus would lead us to, then, then how do we live and how do we love and what does that actually look like played out? That's the question I'm trying to answer today. That's why I had you open to John chapter 8. If you were to go back to John chapter 1, earlier in this same book, John the author is writing a prologue of who Jesus is and what he's about and what he's here on earth to do. And he, he calls them the word, John 1 verse 14. It says the word, Jesus became flesh. God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And I love this because when I start to try to answer this question, I, I am always gonna look to Jesus as our model, as the one that we are to follow of. How did Jesus love people who thought differently, believed differently, didn't act the same way he acted? And which is crazy about Jesus because every single human he ever interacted with did not live the way Jesus was living because Jesus walked sinless and perfect. Every single one of us live in disagreement with the way Jesus wants us to live because we are sinful and have these propensities to live toward our own desires instead of toward the purpose or the design of God for our lives. And so the entire ministry of Jesus was spent loving people that were not living the way God wanted them to live. Think of that. It wasn't like there was these categories of people that had it all figured out and then all these other messed up people. Every single one of them was outside of God's design and he was showing us what it looked like to live with truth and grace. Jesus came full of both grace and truth. And I've noticed in this conversation, and really any difficult conversation, we have a tendency to kind of lean, like some of you might lean grace, right? Like, well, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal to walk in sexual sin and to live that way or to claim an identity that's not really God's identity for your life. Or others of us would lean truth, right? We gotta tell them and they gotta know. And there's kind of like this, whoo, okay. Like both, both of these extremes end up getting us into trouble. And that's why I love Jesus as a model. He's both grace and truth fully. Not a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but both fully. And I think we see this played out in John chapter 8. That's why I had you turn there. Look at verse 2 with me in this passage. It's a story of a woman who was caught in sexual sin, in adultery. 
It says at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts. So he's coming to church early in the morning. It's dawn. So you think you got up early this morning, right, to get to church? Where all the people gathered around him. I want you to get this setting. It's like a setting like this, a church setting. And Jesus sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law, the religious leaders, the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. I want you to just imagine this setting. It's kind of a nice, peaceful dawn morning. Jesus, this rabbi that everybody's trying to understand who he is and what he believes and what he thinks, he sits down to begin to open scripture and show them who God is through what he's going to teach them. And then in come like the pastors and the leaders and the religious kind of authorities of that day, dragging a woman caught in adultery. Like the disruption of this, the, the craziness of this moment, the tension of this moment. Could have been just palpable. I think everybody's gasping. Everybody's wondering what is going on. They made this woman stand before the group. Think of the shame of this. You stand right here. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, in the Old Testament, Moses, he commanded us to stone such women, like throw big rocks on them until they die. Stone such women. What, now, what do you say, teacher? I think just at, at face value, this is a very tense and crazy moment that Jesus is thrust into here. It doesn't seem much different than maybe some of the pressure that you feel in the conversation about how do I love the LGBTQ plus community and what does it look like in our culture and social media and all the camps and all the craziness. And they ask him this, now, what do you say? You gotta hear the motive. John exposes the motive here in this next verse. He says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Just think about how wretched this is. That they would take a woman caught in sin and they would use her as a leverage piece. How dehumanizing is this, right? How, how horrible is this that the religious leaders would take her and try to make a statement out of her in order not even just to get her free from sin or to help her become who God made her to be. They had none of that in their mind. All they cared about is trying to trap Jesus and, and see if they could figure out a way to accuse him and get him ousted from his place of authority. And here's Jesus, full of grace and truth. He bent down and started to ride on the ground with his finger. They kept on questioning him you can imagine them kind of pestering him. What do you say? What are you going to say, Jesus? And he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard what he said began to walk away one at a time, the older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think you get to see Jesus embodying grace and truth in this whole interaction. Not just grace toward the woman, grace toward the Pharisees as well, the religious leaders. I think that's part of the Maybe the miss when we're starting to think about how do I love people that are in, in lifestyles and places of sin and brokenness in their life that I don't agree with or that I don't, you know, fully understand or whatever. Like sometimes this is the biggest issue is how much separation in our minds and our hearts we've created between us and them. 
And we find ourselves over here and those people are way out there and there's like this chasm between us and we're like, well, I want to love them, but they're just like so much or whatever is so much different or so much think different or whatever. And, and, and I love that, that Jesus is pulling that chasm together in this moment. He's like, hey, grace toward these religious leaders who were trying to trap him. Think of what he could have done. This could have been just like the greatest political like smash job ever right here. Jesus could have just, just squished them. He could, have, he could have seen their trap and just absolutely annihilated these guys, but he chose not to. He sees their trap. He sees their, their, their motives of their heart, and he chooses to bend down and ride on the ground. Think about how diffusing this was. Many people have argued about what's he riding on the ground. It almost doesn't even matter what he's riding. What he is doing, though, is he's pulling the attention off of the woman who's standing there in shame. He's pulling the attention off of what they're trying to do, the deception and the trap that they're laying for Jesus, and he's putting the attention onto himself, and I love this about Jesus. It's like if everybody would stop just kind of, kind of fighting for all that stuff out there and they just put their focus on Jesus, we'd start to see things a little bit differently. And he pulls their attention. Like, this is so much grace to these Pharisees. They came in there with this agenda, ready to, like, pounce on Jesus. And, and instead of getting back at them, he, he, he takes them to this place where they're like, what is he doing? What's he writing? What's this about? Why isn't he answering? Grace toward the Pharisees. Grace toward the woman caught in adultery. As he's writing on the ground, I mentioned it a moment ago, but getting the attention off of her and her shame like the scorn of her standing in front of everybody with this accusation in the air. I mean, how much shame just hangs on this woman as she's standing there. And Jesus, Jesus gets the attention off of her and down to what he's riding on the ground. The grace in the moment when he asks her this question, where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? Then, then neither do I, he says. John three seventeen, Jesus said the, that the son of man came into the world not to condemn, the world, but to save the world. I mean, this just matches the heart of God so clearly when Jesus is like, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. I, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. The grace of God to, to this woman is so powerful in this moment. And I think that, that grace and truth in this whole picture is so, so real. The truth that Jesus has in this conversation towards the Pharisees is straightforward. He just asks a simple question. He doesn't have to throw it in their face. He doesn't have to uh, belittle them. He just asks them a question. Which one of you is without sin? Let's start there. The self-reflection obviously starts to create a humility in the, in the, in the room. Like, oh, well, not like currently without sin, right? Like maybe, maybe tomorrow I'll be without sin. And I think that the, the honesty there is, is real because you're holding a rock in your hand to stone this woman to death. And if you can honestly stand before God, stand before Jesus in this moment and claim that you are like wholeheartedly without sin, then go ahead and throw that first rock, throw the first stone. And I think the truth here is that every single one of us is a sinner and every single one of us is in desperate need of the grace of God in our lives. This is the essence of the gospel. This is what makes the church so special is that it is full of people who are sinners being rescued by a loving, gracious, truth-filled God and leading us out of the broken lives that we've come from, leading us to the potential that he has for us. That is why the church has always been a hospital for the hurting, a rescue mission, right? It has never been like a, a, a country club for the elite that got their lives all 
all put together because Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. That's what he said. He said, hey, you don't need a doctor if you're healthy. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what's so good about the church is that's the people that recognize we are sinners. We need salvation. We need the grace of God. And so when God brings sinners into our lives, we we should be the most gracious, loving, true-filled people of anyone on this planet because we get it. We're sinners too, right? Like we have been, we have been bought with a blood of Jesus Christ that we do not deserve. It was his grace, 100% his grace that he poured out for us to be rescued from our sinfulness. And so I, I, I look at this truth for the Pharisees. Go ahead, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. The truth for the woman caught in adultery, I think is so powerful. He says at the very end, go woman and leave your life of sin. It's sin. He's not minimizing the fact that adultery is sin or practicing homosexuality is sin. Like none none of us uh, see that in this story. Jesus is not affirming a sinful lifestyle by saying, I'm not gonna condemn you. He is still very truth-filled in this moment saying, hey, that's sin, stop it. Don't go down that road anymore. Stop living that way. It's a statement of the worth and the value that he sees in this woman that she has made for so much more than this life of sin. And I love that, right? That's the truth, is that though you're behaving in this sinful way, that is not who you are. And so walk out of that into the potential that I have for you. And I think that's for every single one of us, right? That same truth is is what Jesus is bringing to this woman caught in this sinful lifestyle. And I think that that's what the church is for, is to invite people who want to walk out of sin to come here so that they can be supported in their journey of walking out of a sinful lifestyle into the purpose of God for them. That is the reason the church exists, is that we would be that place of rescue and safety for those who are coming out of sin and coming into the life that God has for them. It is messy, it is challenging, it is difficult, but it is our story too. You're a mess, I'm a mess. We're all walking out of sinfulness in our lives. And that distance that we've created in many of our hearts and minds when we try to answer this question, how do I love people that are hurting, lost, broken, is really what we're asking, right? Whatever the category, whatever the community, whatever the label is, it's it's the story that every single one of us have lived. Somebody chose to love us while we were still sinners and lead us to the life that God has for us. And I think that's that's the answer to this question. And this is the heartbeat of God that has always been and always will be. And that is what makes Jesus' church so powerful. Is when you and I recognize, wow, this is the invitation. This is the heart of God. This is the passion of God. Luke 19, 10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's why he's here. Rescue sinners. To answer this question, how do I love people in the LGBTQ plus community is really a simple answer. When you get infected with the heart of God inside you, the heart that Jesus demonstrates inside of this story right here that we're unpacking today, when you are close to Jesus and and infected by the heart of Jesus and filled with the love of Jesus inside of you, go interact with people because it's amazing what happens when you're filled with the love of God, the love of God pours out through you to people all around you. And I hate to oversimplify this really pressure-packed question, but that really is what it comes down to is the love that and the grace that you are receiving. You and I need to be really in touch with that love and grace inside of our own lives because that's going to empower us to bring that same love and grace to those that we interact with. 
no matter what the category or label is of that person's life or choices or sinfulness or whatever it is. And I think that this is, this is why this question for me, um, I know I'm simplifying it here as I come to it, but I want you to just get this like theology, this way Jesus is deep inside you. And you may go, man, I'm not full of grace and truth, but to get like this desire for your life to be led in this way. And the way that you interact with people to be led this way. I know that there's a challenge specifically with gay or trans, especially when somebody says, well, I'm a gay Christian or I'm a trans Christian. And that's where the judgment starts really coming because we're trying to figure out, well, what does that mean? Is that even possible? What does that even look like? And I think I just fall back on our theology in this moment where I go, you know what? Somebody's identity is not a sexual choice or, or decision to have a same-sex attraction. Somebody's identity is so much bigger than that because somebody is choosing to make that their identity that, that is their decision to do. And our hope is that we would lead people to understand that God sees you as so much more than your sexual choices. God sees you as so much more than your gender. God sees your potential and your future and your purpose is so much greater than that. And, and, and so to try to nuance, like, do, are they going to heaven or not going to heaven? We, we're really trying to lead people to understand the potential and the purpose of God and who he's seen them as and the identity that he has for them and help them to live according to that identity to the LGBTQ plus community specifically, I was thinking and praying, what would Jesus say? I think he would say a lot of what he said to each of us. He said, I love you. And that I have plans for your life. And that I have purpose for your life. And that I have a hope for you and a future for you. And he, Jesus would say, I, I, you gotta know that your identity is so much more amazing than your sexuality so much bigger and, and, and more powerful. That your desires for the same sex don't define you. Jesus would say, I define you. What I say, I'm your creator, I'm your author, I am the perfecter of this faith and I have so much in mind for you. I think Jesus would always end every interaction with an invitation, like follow me. Like, come on, let me show you the kind of life that I want you to have, the kind of purpose and significance that I've called you to. Surrender to me and watch what I can do with this life. It's the same conversation he's probably had with many of you in this room who have chosen to follow Jesus and surrendered to him. Leave that life of sin that you've been defined by and come follow me and I will show you the life that I've created you for. Think about some of you in the room or maybe you have friends that have questions about sexual desire or gender. And it's just kind of consuming your conversation and your thoughts and maybe what you're watching and how you're, you're processing. I would just encourage you this, questions are normal. I would say, especially with the cultural war that has been raging and the way that so many opinions are just being lofted from these extreme ends of the spectrum. You're not sure really if you agree with either end of the spectrum, but, but you don't know where you land. And so you find yourself torn and feeling all these pressures. And maybe some of you have been kind of impressed with these desires that maybe you didn't know you had, but now you feel them and you're trying to navigate your way through these desires. And I would just encourage you, questions are normal. Every single one of us has desires inside of us that we have to discern the source of those desires. And are they from from our own self and are gonna lead us towards sinful places or are they founded in the truth of who God is and who he said you to be and what he's called you to in your life. And that's what I would encourage you with, with questions. Questions are amazing. 
But with your questions, look to God, the source of truth for the answers to those questions. The challenge for us is many of us don't ever look to God. We look to peers, we look to friends, we look to social feeds, we look to all these other places instead of the author of truth. And what God has said about you, your identity from God's perspective is unmovable. It's not changing, it's not fluid, it's not something different today than it was yesterday. And all of us got a lot of insanity in our brains, right? A lot of questions, a lot swirling inside of us. And the only way to navigate all of that is to have an anchor of truth in your heart and mind to keep you focused on what God has said about you. With your questions, go to God. As Jesus Church, here's a passion of mine. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, that I want to be a safe place for people with questions so that they can find God's truth amongst God's people. How sad it would be if they didn't feel like we were a source of God's truth or safe enough to ask us the questions that they're navigating. And I feel like this is so important to this whole question. If you've already moved into the LGBTQ plus community, live a homosexual lifestyle, maybe you've transitioned your gender already, or you're in the process of that, here's what I would want you to hear. Here at Real Life, we love you. We love you. Wholeheartedly, unequivocally, we love you. We'll always accept everybody here at Real Life, a part of this church, a part of this team. And we will always lead you to be moving towards God's design, out of his life of sin and separation from him towards a life of God, to walk away from sinful patterns, to a life wholeheartedly committed to Jesus. That is the journey all of us are on. You're not different because, because you're same-sex attracted or whatever. Like you are, you are just like us learning to deny our sinful desires and walk toward the purpose of God for our lives. As a church, um, we are committed to you becoming who God made you to be. I would say this lastly to us, real life, to you as a church, you're asking this question, how do I love the LGBTQ plus community? I would just simply look at this passage, the truth and the grace of Jesus, and I would go, Jesus, teach me how to love like you love. And the people that you've given me in my life. I know maybe, hopefully you're texting in questions here that we can answer here in a couple of minutes that I'm maybe not getting to, but I was talking to a guy in the lobby last service, after last service, and the question of like, man, and there's so much getting just like shoved down kids' throats. Like, what are we supposed to do? And it really just comes down to loving, like loving your kids the way Jesus called you to. And, and if you're worried about somebody else's kids, man, loving, loving you're a man connected with that man. Love that guy and teach him how to love his kids the way, like make a disciple right there, right? And as you disciple him, then he's going to learn to love and lead his kids. And it's, it's really this simple thing of just loving like Jesus the people of God that God has put in your life, as messy as it might feel, as difficult as it might be, that we would be a place that just loves the way God's called us to love. Always lead people to know and follow Jesus. Jesus is the transformer of human souls. You and I are not. Holy Spirit brings conviction. That's not our job. I loved watching as we've walked with families that have been navigating this tension. People married gay. And walking out of that relationship towards God's design. Messy, 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 messy process. But what I've loved is that the Holy Spirit through the entire thing is the one that's bringing conviction to their souls. And as you lead people to know and love Jesus, that's God's part. He does his part so faithfully. And our responsibility is just to do 
our part, to love like Jesus, to lead people to know Jesus, to make disciples of Jesus. And I know this sounds simple, but, but I, I wanna keep it in this kind of place where, man, as Jesus' people, if we would just love people, he's gonna lead us through whatever tension or whatever questions or whatever uncertainties you have around all these conversations. I think at the heart of it, just being so connected to your own need for a savior, your own sinfulness and how much God loved you and has drawn you out of your life and is drawing you out of your old life. I talked to a woman after last service who said, I've been having a hard time with my, my granddaughter because she's been struggling with sexual sin this way. She says, I have been super judgmental and then during this service, God was just reminding me of like where I came from. I was addicted to drugs. She's telling me kind of like the laundry list. I'm like, ooh, yeah, right. Like that's a lot that you came out of. And she's like, yeah, how could I forget? How could I forget where I've come from? And that's part of the deception of the enemy. I think in each of our hearts is to separate us from the love of God and the grace of God in our lives and get us kind of prideful. There's these acceptable sins like pride self-righteousness and it's like our culture is like well that's good that's fine yeah be prideful because that means you're confident no that means you're a sinner and we've kind of glazed over these things and allowed them to infect our hearts and they've actually led us away from the grace of God it's moments like this where I feel like it's so good for us just to be confronted with like oh I need the good news of Jesus Christ every single day. I need his love and his mercy today, just like anybody else and everybody else on this planet. God, give my heart that passion to see lives change the way that you've been changing my life. All right, we just got a few minutes left. And so I want to try to answer some questions. Tyler, you're here somewhere. There you are. Welcome Tyler back up here with me, if you would. Let's try to, try to unpack a couple of these questions real quick, if we could. First question, is it better to accept and use people's preferred or chosen pronouns rather than fighting them? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, uh, that's a difficult one. And I don't know if there's a simple simple way to navigate it, but um, you know, if, it depends on the relationship you have with them. If you're not close with them, to offend is really not really helpful in that conversation. But I think if there's a way to not offend your own conscience and not offend that person, then try to find that place. Um, and at the same time, if you're close with that person, to be able to articulate the difficulty that you have with this, calling them by that pro preferred pronoun or whatever. And, and um, there's probably not a perfect way to do it, um, but I would just, I, I guess I would encourage you not to, not to miss the point that there's a person behind that pronoun that really needs you to love them the way Jesus loves them. And so, get a little less concerned about saying it just right and figuring out where they're at and how you can build a relationship with them in that. And so I know it's kind of a messy answer, but I feel like it's a nuanced, a nuanced thing for yeah. sure. Yeah. Would you say kind of to sum that all up, just focus on the relationship with that person rather than just the words that are being used? Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. How can I teach my kids to respond to people in the LGBTQ community in school with grace and truth when the truth part can be twisted by others in this culture to be hate. Yeah. So two, two things in that question. One is like, you got a model for your kids. So what they see you doing is what they will do. 
And if you're fearful about the truth being twisted or whatever, that's gonna come out in how you interact with people. And um, the truth has always been twisted through every culture, through all of human history. That is the devil's game. Jesus called him the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. And so Jesus talked about this cultural reality 2000 years ago, it's not a new game. Um, so I, I would encourage you a couple of things. Truth is going to stand with or without you. The truth of who God is and what he says will stand, will last, has always lasted and will forever last because it's true. And so don't get like bent on like, well, I got to defend truth. No, like it will last without you. I promise that. In your kids' hearts and minds, you are responsible to help them understand the truth. And so I would just encourage you to be debriefing a ton what they're navigating, who they're talking to, what they think about the people that they're talking to and the questions that are coming up and just be able to measure that, how much truth is in what they're seeing and hearing and understanding and how much is false and then be able to speak to those places and bring the truth back. Don't feel like you need to like pound an agenda to keep the truth in front of your kids. Just be really gracious and debrief with your kids constantly. The more your kids can talk to you, the better off you're gonna be as a parent. And so that takes a lot of relationship with your kids, right? If they don't feel like they can be safe talking to you, then I would encourage you to work on that part of your relationship with them. Yeah, and to add to that too, one of the things I've noticed with hanging out with your kids a lot is social media is a big thing, right? Like. It's not going anywhere in our world. Pay attention to what they're watching and what they're listening to. This is the first kind of generation where they're seeking answers from the internet first rather than the truth of God's word or coming to you as parents. And so be aware of kind of where they're at, the questions that they're asking and be able to handle that with the grace and truth that we're talking about. That's good. Last one, how do I begin to shift my mindset towards love to the LGBTQ community? Yeah, I think a lot of that is in the answers or in the kind of the sermon I just preached of the, the awareness of our own sin just creates a softness in our hearts. Your mindset is a combination of experiences that you've had and decisions that you've made. And so I'd, I guess I'd encourage you that your mindset doesn't just like switch, like boom, oh, I think differently. It's a process for all of us. You've kind of created ruts and how you think about people and about communities and about demographics. This is what, you know, it's racism or these different like kind of prolific ways of thinking that for some of us are like, what, you think like that? All of us have these ruts in our thinking and are so important to discover them, see them for what they are and then begin to replace the lies with the truth. And the more that you replace the lies with the truth, the more you're beginning to reprogram your thinking, your mindset around people and demographics. And so you gotta have the truth of God's heart his grace in front of you constantly be reminding yourself of that and give yourself some grace in this process. It's gonna take some time, but I'd encourage you, you be around people that love people really well and you're gonna to learn to love people really well too. Amen. So, I mean, check your relationships and your community and the people that you're connected with. And if you're with and watching and listening to very judgmental people, you're gonna struggle with judgmentalism. I encourage you to find some new inputs and some new resources of people that are gonna help you become like Jesus in that. Thank you, Tyler. Can you thank him one more time for his help up here? I want to, uh, I want to pray with you if you would stand to your feet with me today, real life. We're going to close this time in, in prayer today. You just close your eyes with me for a moment. I know God's been speaking to so many of you in so many different ways. I love the power of the Spirit to meet you right where you are today. 
Maybe some of you are just recognizing your need for a savior and just would acknowledge that I need salvation. I need Jesus, you to save me. And just confess that to him right now. He's so faithful and just to forgive you of sin, purify you from unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Whenever somebody makes that confession, they're baptized. Lee was baptized just between these last two services as he's recognizing his need for a savior. If that's where you're at today, I'd encourage you to take that step today. Others of you, you have been judgmental and kind of arrogant, proud toward demographics. Maybe you found yourself soapboxing and different rants. God's just drawn you to a place of awareness of your sinfulness and your need for a savior and just humbling you today. Just receive that humility right now. Maybe you've just been confused and you found yourself just, just being quiet and kind of hiding and God's wanting to just grow your confidence today and who you are and what you believe and how he wants to use you to love and serve people. Just receive that confidence today in God. Maybe you're a part of this LGBTQ plus community. You haven't felt loved or accepted. Prayer is that God would just draw you to himself, that this would be a place where you could grow towards your potential, you could walk out of sin towards the purpose of God for your life and that you would join all of us on a journey of becoming the people that Jesus made us to be. God, you look at every single heart here and you know every thought, every emotion, you know every bit of every single one of us, God, and you have the ability right now to bring your grace, your truth, your peace, your power, God, your love to every soul in this room today, God, would you do that now? Forgive those who need to be forgiven. Save those who need to be saved. God, heal those that have been hurt and broken, God. Restore those that have been devastated, God. I pray that you would bind up the brokenhearted. You would set captives free. Jesus, you are in the the business of healing those that need a doctor. Jesus, would you be our healer and our rescuer in this place today, God? Where the church has lacked and, and, and lacked confidence and strength, God, in this whole conversation, Lord, I pray that you would just give us courage to become your people who love the way you've called us to love, God. That this would be a refuge for those that are hurting, God. This would be a place where people could find hope and life in you, Jesus. That we in our workplaces, in our schools, God, would be filled with the confidence of your truth and your grace, God. And that you would send us out of here equipped, God, for the mission that you've called us to, Lord. We love you, Jesus. I thank you for your church. I thank you for real life. I thank you for everyone here today, God. What a gift this church is, God. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.